Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of In the Beginning Was the Word. It's uh, me, Nils Leo Tungoden, the young, well, you can decide if I'm young, I'm 30 years old, theology student. I, uh, well, yeah, I study theology and I live in Oslo, Norway with my fiance, Kyla Holderman, and Plato, the beautiful and cute little dog. If this is your first time listening to my podcast, my talks, my ramblings, of which some people will find highly interesting and valuable, and others will think it's perhaps weird, some may even say that I am a lunatic, I guess, that is uh, the nature of living in a time where there's a lot of division going on. So that's fine by me. This uh, podcast or my talks is intended to serve as a bridge between people of different uh, nations and backgrounds in order to uh, provide some sustenance to uh, some of the things happening. Looking at it through several angles and my angle will be theologian in nature and that includes language history philosophy and psychology so no matter your faith belief or background or the lack of it thereof i think these talks will serve as well valuable uh insightful uh, something that you can learn from my aim and my goal is also to establish contact with other people of all sorts of backgrounds so that we can discuss openly some of the things happening in the world one of my main reasons for doing it to begin with was uh, because of covid and the fourth estate and the fourth industrial revolution all the changes happening swiftly now to our culture and our society and i think it's very important that we as human beings stay in touch and stay in contact and that we share ideas that we find to be valuable and uh, perhaps even correct i do have a christian foundation for my talks but i will not be preaching i will just be uh, presenting the arguments of that faith in a way in the way that i see it of what is important and what is not important in the bigger picture of things <clears throat> Even if you are a rationalist or a so-called, well, I termed it science believer, which is kind of weird to do because uh, we all have to believe in science now because we live in a world dominated by science. You are listening to me talk. I am talking to you. That is because of science. Tonight, I will be talking about the topic creation. 
my previous talks have been uh, heavily focused on uh, COVID, the fourth estate, and what I call the lie. But uh, I have come to realize as time passes on that it can be kind of depressing. And it's a thing that serves to dominate all other discourse of our society. And rightfully so, if people are just not allowed to live their life anymore and they feel like everything is uh, going downhill and their rights alongside with it, then uh, that becomes very dominant in the talking topics. Either you're for it or you're against it and it divides people up into different groups. And if you are curious and critically minded and you understand history, propaganda, radicalism, state suppression, it is a, a quite depressing topic, but I still find it very important. So I will continue doing it here and there. But my previous three episodes have all been about those issues. And so I don't see the value in doing it every time. Every time I talk. I picked creation because that is the state of being that I believe we should live in in order to counter some of the, the movements being orchestrated in the world. Creation is uh, the cure to that. Therefore, the topic of creation is important. When it comes to a Christian world belief, there are some key aspects of it. First of all, it's the notion that God existed before anything. And uh, this belief is easily scrutinized and criticized from the rational perspective by saying uh, what came before God then. By following the strictly rational mind and our logic, deduction and the five senses we have been granted by God, as I believe, it is... Uh, not difficult to land in a position where faith, and especially the Christian faith, is disregarded in its entirety. In the cultural and uh, media and academia landscape, it has become increasingly prevalent as well. And I will highlight this by giving different accounts of creation. First, from the Christian perspective and what that means to a believing Christian, some church doctrine, they vary from church to church. You have, a, of course, the Orthodox Church and the Catholic Church and the Protestant Church and free churches as well. I will uh, be picking an example from the Orthodox Church 
later today or tonight, depending on your circumstance. Because I believe the priest who speaks about creation in his talk has the best notion of it. And perhaps his view is shared in other congregations as well. Maybe it's not a orthodox belief system. But you have the rationalist explanation of the world where infinite energy or almost infinite. The term infinite in itself is a strange term. We don't know if that is something that exists, except if you believe in God, like I do. You must consider that to be infinity itself, I suppose. But vast amounts of energy in no space, almost no space. The billionth of the nanopart of a tiny seed. And that exploded or ballooned out for no reason at all. It just happened. This theory, of course, could be correct. That uh, really the only God we have is chance. The chance of the universe. Luck. But I think... It is very lacking, and for, <clears throat> and for several reasons, too. First of all, it lacks any explanation as to anything. And I realize that perhaps you're not required to have an explanation, because everything is just random, as they say. And the human mind is just a evolved ape with some special capabilities that we don't see in other primates and we created God not the other way around in the beginning man created God this makes sense rationally but it's lacking one of the reasons is that there's no greater story or purpose given to us and that alone is reason enough for me to have faith at all my christian belief could sometimes be described as well blasphemous i suppose by some people the Christians, the people who are Christian, they're not one entity. We are not one entity. But I think we should work on becoming more together, uh, more in line with the oneness, you could call it, which is a hippie statement on its own, but I shall use that statement anyway. Besides from uh, the rationalist deduction of reality, we have the story of creation. And like I said, God is outside of creation 
and he creates this reality. He puts special emphasis on humanity because we are created in his image. I have had discussions with people about that notion and some would uh, describe that as one of the most so-called problematic things about Christianity. And I can understand their arguments. I think it's very important to understand every argument and to see the validity in it. If you fail to do that, you isolate yourself. This also goes to people who have different theories or people who believe in uh, the rational random explosion of the universe. It makes you uh, alone, more alone than you could be. And our unity is very important in these times. But the story of creation is uh, archetypical and carries significant meaning. And like I said, I will start by going into the purely Christian notion. And then I'll go into some contemporary scientific deductions of the meaning of that and where it leads. And then some alternative viewpoints that is shared by people who are on the path, as they say. Uh, they have, well, esoteric or perhaps uh, pagan notions. Uh, the Freemason uh, state of understanding, I suppose you could call it. And I'll get into that too, and why I think it is lacking. So, God creates the world. And from the earth, he creates man and woman. We live in a perfect state of harmony in the garden. Now the snake comes along and uh, well tricks Eve into convincing Adam of eating the apple. And the apple symbolizes the hidden or forbidden knowledge. And in simple terms you could say that this is the knowledge of good and of evil. It is also the source of free will. There are several ways to view this. Some see it as us stepping into consciousness. I'll get into that soon. From a purely Christian perspective, that is viewed as the fall of man. When corruption came into the world. And so we are banished from the Garden of Eden and forced to live on our own. From here, they uh, reproduce and you have uh, Cain and Abel, another archetypical story of which carries significance because the way I see it from 
the Christian perspective or understanding is that the archetype of Cain and what he is capable of doing when he murder, murders his brother is a further archetype of the snake. There are different versions of what the snake is and what it means to us. In the Christian view, the snake is what will later be known as the devil. The accuser and the liar. But to provide uh, an explanation and uh, ramification for my own view regarding this that may be shared or cast away by my listeners i will have to return to the garden and in order to uh, do a talk that i believe warrants uh, or inserts enough uh, seriousness into the topic i have been searching around for well, a lot of thoughts regarding all of this, so that it'll come together in a understandable way. Now, um, there was a scientist, his name was Herbert Spencer. He was a non-Christian and uh, hailed as one worthy of many prizes in science. He died in 1903. What they say was his greatest achievement was that he discovered the categories of the knowable. That is to say, he determined that everything that exists fits into one of five categories. Which is interesting because that is mimicking our five senses. Uh, this was uh, hailed by the scientific community. And to give a decent overview of this, I'll say it as such. Uh, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, that's time. And then God, that's force. Created, that's action. The heavens, that's space. space. The earth, that's matter. So everything that he discovered in 1903 or before that was in the first verse of scripture. So whether you are a believing Christian, that means believing uh, in the word itself instead of rationalizing it into modern terms or not, it still is uh, profound and really interesting. The Bible says that God created everything and in saying that the Bible gives us all the categories that exist and that he did it from nothing that is with no pre-existing material and he did it in six days. Because the Bible is so clear about this in Genesis 1 and then giving us an even further and more detailed look at this creation, rehearsing its elements in a broader way in chapter 2, we face a test at the very outset of the Bible. Uh, you will not be able to get past the first verse of the Bible. You're not going to get past it. 
uh, or two, the first two chapters of the Bible without facing a test. And the test is this. Do you believe the scripture? Uh, that is the basic foundation of the test. Now, I think you can uh, see this from several viewpoints, some of which are strictly Christian without asking questions in nature, and others that are more scientific and rational in nature. In order to provide the story of creation with additional uh, content, I will uh, be, uh, well, paraphrasing Father Andrew Balakos. He is a minister at the Assumption Greek Orthodox Church. Full disclosure, I really like the way he thinks about it. It mimics the way that I think about it. That does not mean that I believe he is uh, necessarily correct, but I think it provides a very good explanation into the nature of Christian faith when it comes to creation and its significance. So, here we go. So, what he said, I find myself agreeing with. And uh, it's interesting, when we think of creation, we often limit ourselves to uh, the story of uh, Adam and Eve, and uh, what else is there to understand. But what he says is that everything points towards the incarnation of Christ. Creation is not a finite thing that just happened. Uh, and that uh, it stops with Adam and Eve, and uh, the fall is all there is. But uh, it's all of the cosmos that leads to the incarnation of Christ. And the cross is at the center of his divine plan for our creation. So what he lays forth are three basic foundations of the world. The first is that uh, the world is good, it's in order and in harmony. The second is that the word is, no, the world is fallen. We are fallen and that's all there is to that. The third is that we are redeemed through Christ. And the first is the story of Genesis itself, when God created everything and looked at it and said, this is good, and it was good. And then he gave to us a very distinct or the very distinct calling. And that is that we are created in the image and likeness of God. And so for us, this is a key element to understanding what a human person is all about and what our purpose really is. Simply said, you could say that the purpose of a human being is to reflect the glory of God. 
and to be with God. We were uh, planted in the garden. Everything we needed was given to us. And we lived and breathed in the presence of God. And this was paradise. We were called to enjoy it as it was. And he quotes Gregory of Nazianus, who said, to paraphrase him, let us not stay the same, but let us become what we once were. And when he says that, he is referring to this, that we once were absolute reflections of the divine glory before the fall. And had there not been a fall, we would have continued to live in glory and progressed in the unity of God. And as he mentions, the word kalos in good in Greek means more than just uh, good, it means beautiful, it means perfection, which goes on to mean the perfection of God. And when we uh, talk about the world being fallen, then the world becomes essentially something that is an end in itself. It becomes the object of our admiration and of our life. And uh, we don't look beyond the world to God. We just see it for what it is here and now. I would uh, attribute this to uh, materialism in modern culture and uh, clinging to, well, this life and this world and what we have here. Then, of course, well, as the father says here in his speech, you have two main dominant theories. And one is, this is even discrediting Christianity, just worldviews. One is that there is a divine creator, the name of this entity is God. And the other is that there is not a divine creator. But they both will claim that the world is beautiful and wonderful. But from my intuition, what I see is that the last kind of version can very easily be uh, evolved into theories of humanity being a plague and a pest upon the world. Uh, the Nazi scientist view and uh, some of the later views now with AI, I think, mimics this. And as I've said before, the notion of truth is that truth is beautiful. So beauty and truth is the same thing. And the father says this as well. Our purpose within the ramification of Christian theological understanding is to mimic the beauty and the perfection of God to the best of our capability. And when we uh, talk about the world being fallen, like I mentioned earlier, that means decay and death and 
destruction and also the fact that we have to leave this place our bank accounts the person that we are everything that we have must fade and it must vanish and one of the greatest sources of well psychological uh, imbalance and uh, sadness anger all the so-called bad emotions are uh, tied to that to uh, us clinging to the decaying world and uh, the world is according to this worldview essentially dead and it teaches us that the prince of evil is essentially in charge well the devil of this world and therefore there is a strong connection between the fall which was consequential to our fall and when we fell it fell if all of creation is god's creation then everything we see as visible including man including everything created when we fell it fell and why should we be surprised that the human race's wickedness can hinder the fertility of the world for our sake the world was subjected to corruption and for our sake the world will be free of us and what happens to the world happens for the sake and dignity and also the fault and the fall of the human world and uh, we are the highest part of creation this is well evident even though you can uh, look at other animals and see plenty of similarities we are definitely special within the ramification of this creation of course you have uh, theories uh, about aliens very popular lately and there seems to be some compelling evidence for it uh, i'll get into that later what i call the fake alien invasion <laughs> but the events that take place between our falling is tied to our morality in creation and it leads up to the crucifixion and this symbolizes the last act of our creation because this gets well goes into God's promise of us being born again renewed through the suffering and uh, the murder of Christ and his resurrection so uh, God he well Jesus he was God's son but he was also God incarnate coming down to the earth during a time of hardship and trouble and he walked this earth with human shoes and human eyes and ears he experienced our reality through the lens of a human with some uh, well supernatural abilities like walking on water and 
other well things that he could do but the suffering that he went through was the same as we would have gone through so he came to us and uh, he was not what we would have expected or at least orthodox jews they thought he would be a nationalistic warlike liberator of the humankind but instead he came and he said a bunch of weird things and then they took him away and they murdered him so uh, what kind of god is that but he did that for the love of humanity and it was uh, key to the early church identifying uh, christ becoming a human person to see that he stepped into the reality that is us and from this you have the holy spirit and the opening to the kingdom of god through his son and part of himself as well jesus christ the son of god and therefore the purpose becomes to live in communion with god to live in creation to have the light beauty and truth live within us and to carry the cross of our burdens which are required it's required of us in the potential unraveling of this world so that is the basis of the christian faith of which i subscribe to with of course some notions of insecurity and many questions as well and i believe this is only natural and healthy which leads me further into the more contemporary understandings of well creation and the story of the garden of eve and story of christ's sacrifice and so uh well in uh, ancient near eastern creation myths there was no such thing as creation from nothing so now i am uh, phrasing some uh, contemporary theories that borrow from uh, jung and from the great uh, well uh, joseph campbell and i will uh, read from this because this provides the other version where doubt is high and the rational sense is at the center stage uh, the motive of creation from chaos was universal in the ancient Near East and common around the world. Why? Mar Marie-Louise France explained that this is a natural result of our psyche experiencing its ego consciousness 
coming into being as world becoming. As far as our psyche is concerned, our becoming aware of the world coming into existence are one and the same. This process occurred not only when humans first developed ego consciousness, but also occurs in any young child's development, as shown by developmental psychology and in the life of adults. Our unconscious has no sense of space or time and little sense of order. It is indeed chaotic and is experienced as such. Thus, the dawn of consciousness and our image of the creation of the world are parallel and related processes, which throw up corresponding related symbols. And chaos, that is synonymous with evil and with sin. After the creation, chaos is not eliminated, but continues outside the cosmos, always trying to encroach upon and undo the created cosmos. Particular things are created only to the extent that chaos is absent in them. But in fact, nothing is perfect except the initial Garden of Eden. Each thing contains some element of chaos. In nature, chaos is manifested in natural disasters, such as earthquakes, floods, and violent storms. Since humans are made of the same substance as the rest of the cosmos, uh, well, if you recall Adam being formed from the ground and water, chaos can and will inevitably, inevitably erupt in humans too. In modern psychological terms, this is the unconscious at work. In the biblical world, chaos was typically symbolized by a serpent. So when in the Eden story, the serpent appears before Eve, the story's ancient audience knew that chaos had entered the garden and Eve's mind. There were plenty of societies in ancient religious cults and, well, uh, doctrines that uh, equated the snake with something very good. Uh, God, in certain South American tribes, they worship the anaconda snake. They go out into the jungle and catch uh, one of those big snakes and uh, takes its power from it to incorporate it into themselves. It's a rite of passage for men. And you'll see in ancient Mesopotamian society and societies even before that all around the world from India to South America that people worshipped the snake. But here we have a belief that is completely counterintuitive to that. And I think this is very interesting. And I will not, as a modern person, even though I know much about this, be uh, delegating any positive or negative aspects to the worship of the snake. 
but from the biblical perspective the snake is synonymous with the devil i'll continue here from this uh, modern psychological uh, writing in uh, normative terms chaos is viewed as bad evil while creation is good after all god had created the order cosmos from chaos so that's what he wanted the cosmos in this respect has a teleological nature which should be respected maintained and furthered chaos manifested in humans is what results in human evil which the biblical authors authors said includes pagan religion this is what yahweh warns cain about sin is lurking at the door its desire is for you you must master it the same biblical author later described this chaotic trait within human nature as wild imaginings of the human heart in the, the ancient world thought to be the repository of thought the ancients according to the author here did not understand the nature of the unconscious as such, but they did reach the insights that much of human behavior, especially what we label evil behavior, stems from urges deep within and barely susceptible to a rational conscious control. This is, from my perspective, part of uh, the myth. The snake that is the reptilian brain it is the brain of our deepest instincts if you go back further along in creation we all had a brain similar to the brain of the snake it's the cunning deceitful but insightful wise sort of energy if we are to put this in uh, well human terms the antidote uh, to well the chaos coming about is uh, well the byproduct is the knowledge of good and evil the law is the antidote adam and eve's transgression in the garden show us uh, well showed us what happened if uh, unrestricted human nature takes its natural course the author of the bible had to provide a remedy and uh, the antidote is twofold uh, the knowledge of good and evil i don't necessarily subscribe to this as being the antidote but i see it as part of free will combined with the law First, the immediate result of eating the forbidden fruit was to acquire the godlike knowledge of good and evil. What this knowledge consists of has been subject to much debate, but the Hebrew Bible and the Dead Sea Scrolls go fairly far in explaining it. In several passages, they describe this knowledge as being acquired or perfected as one passes from minority to adulthood at more or less the age of 20. 
when the Hebrews rebelled against Yahweh in the wilderness of Sinai, those 20 years or older were implicated in this sin and so were not allowed to enter the promised land. Hence the long stay in the wilderness. While minors under 20 had no knowledge of good and evil and so were considered incapable of sin. The above understanding uh, could be interpreted to mean that Adam and Eve's transgression did not rise to the level of sin since they had not yet acquired the knowledge of good and evil. They were like minors without legal capacity. Uh, or their transgression was the result of human nature already at creation, having the aforementioned inclination towards evil, not the cause of our sinfulness as claimed in the doctrine of original sin. Given that evil is a form of chaos and good is a manifestation of the divinely created order of creation, the knowledge of good and evil is nothing less than the godlike knowledge of how the universe works in terms of the dynamic between chaos and order, order, both at the cosmic level and at the human moral level of good and evil. According to the biblical writers, in principle, the knowledge of good and evil is what can, if applied, enable humans to avoid sin and further good. This is uh, further shown by the snowballing of human evil leading up to Noah's flood. However, in practice, merely having this knowledge was not enough for good to prevail. Humans needed divine guidance and assistance, and it was for this reason that Yahweh bestowed on the Hebrews the so-called law, a set of ordering principles which, if followed, would result in good prevailing. Having the knowledge of good and evil enables humans to discern and understand both external and internal psychic reality. In particular, pairs of opposites, symbolized by the opposites of good and evil, but including others in the story, such as male and female and God and humans. Therefore, Adam and Eve's acquisition of this knowledge constituted an enlightenment and transformation into a higher psychic level, that of full ego consciousness. Before that, they were mired in a lower psychic state dominated by the unconscious. A famous uh, scientist, Eric Neumann, in 1954, called this state the Uroboros, where all is one and there are no pairs of opposites. Yahweh's warning that Adam would die upon eating the fruit may well render this moment a kind of initiation scenario, with old human dying and entering a new state of being. This transformation is what made humans responsible and accountable for their actions, especially before God, and actually truly capable of good and ready to act in the real world. For example, when you see uh, lions eating uh, their babies or bears doing the same, 
can't really call that evil. It's not good or evil. It's just a part of nature. It's not nice to watch or to know that this happens at all, but it is what it is. And here you see the difference. When uh, Adam and Eve exited the garden in psychological terms, they were not driven from the garden, but uh, according to Joseph Campbell, they grew up and walked out on their own. Uh, the garden is then a metaphor for following our minds. So here you see the great divide between uh, the actual Christian understanding of this and the academic rationalist understanding of this. So, uh, for instance, although no act of original sin occurred, the Eden story remains principally a story explaining human nature, in particular our psyche. Especially important is the story's recognition of the role of chaos in the psyche, which today means the unconscious and especially the shadow. As Jung recognized, it is a frightening thought that man also has a shadow side to him, consisting not just of little weakness, but of a positively demonic dy well, dynamic. Uh, this chaos eventually came to be represented by the devil. The author of the Eden story honestly brought out this psychic fact, and he did his best to fashion a way, a way to deal with it. His remedy was the application of yeah, knowledge of good and evil, plus the law. Now, what does the story of Eden mean to us from the rational perspective? In considering the relevance of the Eden story in today's world, we must reevaluate the biblical author's remedy and determine what our conclusions mean for us individually, spiritually, well, spirituality and psychology, as well as social policy, ethics and morality, education and law. This complicated endeavor would take us far beyond the scope of this article of, or of what I have time to speak of today. So we will end here with some uh, simple points. First, to the extent that biblical remedy involves conscious application of the knowledge of good and evil, this seems inevitably to involve, at least in part, ego consciousness, repressing and suppressing contents of our unconscious, which modern psychology has shown to cause still more problems. Second, historically, the biblical author's reliance on prophylactic laws to control human behavior has had mixed results. Further, such approach assumes that the human psyche is incapable of further change, even though it had transformed once before in the garden. As a result, the prophylactic approach treats symptoms rather than the underlying problems, including evolved traits that once had survival value, but which in many cases are now <laughs> completely dysfunctional. 
An alternative approach is to endeavor to transform the human psyche to a higher level. This is where they start getting into funny territory, and I'll comment on this further. In which case, the need for prophylactic measures and suppression and repression of the unconscious would lessen. Such is the approach, for example, being explored by Alan Combs, the, inter the integral psychology movement, uh, also championed by Ken Wilbach and other so-called progressive thinkers and initiatives. Our means towards this end may well be spiritual practices, giving a direct experience of divinity, however conceived. The type of approach condemned in the Bible, but which resulted in the elevation of Adam and Eve's consciousness. So here you see two <clears throat> very different uh, stories and uh, understandings of what happened and the fall of man. While one is uh, preoccupied, well, the Christian version of uh, delegating it as, uh, yes, well, the fall, sin, the nature of original evil, the other is preoccupied with furthering the same, well, original sin, which is very interesting. And I believe both of the theories and aspects are valid on their own. But I believe the Christian foundational viewpoint is less dangerous to engage in. And then that could be taken very easily as, well, understood as then living in uh, denial of reality and uh, not progressing, wishing to go back to the, well, the state of being a child. And that's supposed to be like a negative thing. But in yoga and Christ's teaching himself, he says the way to, in order to get, come to God, you need to become like a child. Now, with that in mind, I will continue some of my thoughts regarding this and uh, the divide on display between understanding uh, original sin and the fall of man as uh, something uh, well uh, horrible of which we are supposed to move out and away from and uh, understanding it as an elevation of the human spirit and the consciousness uh, but before that, I'm going to get into uh, part of the reason why I think uh, reading the Bible and understanding ancient theology and uh, the writings put down, why it's uh, important. So Jung, in his Red Book, he uh, makes a distinction between the neurotic and gray and the so-called schizophrenic and colorful uh, when it comes to telling stories. 
listening to people just uh, give information in a sort of, uh, well, uh, fact of the matter way of which I am responsible myself. It's very hard to not do that when you're trying to uh, share information, but it sort of turns us off. It's a kind of a robotic thing, uh, sort of reptilian in nature. Uh, the snake uh, rationality, thinking uh, very rational about rationally about things. Therefore, he uh, well, I will propose that some of the best ways to understand reality is through great visionary poetic traditions. So, uh, for instance, uh, Homer's Iliad, uh, Iliad. Paradise Lost, Dante's Inferno, Thus Spoke Zarathustra, and Blake's Illuminated Works are all good places to go in order to understand things that you may be uh, wondering about. But I think the Bible is the greatest of these visionary poetic traditions without a doubt. Now, uh, the state of original sin and the fall of man, of which was either an elevation or a catastrophe. Regarding what is correct and non-correct, uh, there I'm not going to go into it, but I am weary of some of the modern so-called progressive notions about this. And that follows from what I've said before. Uh, about uh, wanting, uh, well, totalitarianism and uh, transhumanism and the whole tech societies. And in my spare time, I have been uh, getting into some of the hidden so-called mystical doctrines, but they're quite easily found. And what I've discovered is that 9 out of 10 or something like that uh, pedal rebel angel doctrines and then notions of this nature for instance uh, don't you know that prometheus was the good guy he gave us knowledge of evil and free will god was a big <clears throat> meanie he is actually the demiurge and then lucifer actually means the light and uh I've asked some of them, uh, what's up with the beast symbolism on display lately? Uh, why do all the bad guys, or so-called bad guys, seem to worship this benevolent liberator? And then, well, uh, I've heard that's not actually him. They are making it into something that it's not. But sometimes life and doctrines are not that mysterious. And also the part of ego liberation uh, and separation from the unconscious, which is uh, great when done in reality and in practicality. But if it leads us to view other humans as silly sheep, as horrible, terrible and stupid, but uh, we know all the secrets, and then the further tradition from that, uh, sort of the Gnostic uh, version of things, where they say knowledge will transcend us to godhood. 
What I find very interesting, whether this is supposed to be a warning or not, I'm not labeling it necessarily as good or bad in my talk. I'm just trying to understand it. But what is interesting is that it is mirroring uh, fallen angels and uh, Lucifer himself and the snake and what was said through him. Besides that, uh, quite honestly, any congregation that puts Aleister Crowley above, uh, well, harsh words, but narcissistic madman at best, or perhaps deranged psychopath at worst, should be uh, not necessarily disregarded, but viewed with suspicion if people are aware of what he said and what he did. Uh, then again, I find uh, most of the, I call this cults, I, I guess all beliefs systems eventually turn into what you would label a cult. Uh, the Bitcoin community as well has a lot of cultish tendencies and a lot of free churches as well. They fall into the category of cults. And people who are in cults, I just call them uh, usually victims. And what I've found mostly is that there's a certain archetype on display uh, in these societies, especially with young men, but also the female uh, version in big cities. And that is that they hate their own father. That's the archetype, which reminds me of the ancient story of, well, Lucifer, who hated his father and was cast down. Anyway, uh, my belief, well, no, not my belief. My suspicion is that this reaches further into uh, cultural rot. I call it rot, strong word. But uh, there's a certain nihilistic faithlessness uh, and worshipping of materialism, tech adherence, dead eyes, uh, that's depression. Substance abuse, psychedelic cults. It's one thing to use psychedelics if you believe that it's a good thing for your progress. And I have spoken on that earlier. It's another thing when it's done as a cult, of which I've seen myself. Then you also have uh, fake Burning Man rebels, uh, <laughs> upper class uh, bourgeoisie live action role playing, as I call it. And all of this comes from uh, broken families. I wrote this online and someone replied to me and uh, I'd like to incorporate his or her reply in what I'm saying right now. All mythic or mystical doctrines are metaphorical in that they reference qualities within the human state of consciousness. I think that as we have moved deeply towards the sleeky intellectual and the psychological, there has arisen a consequent fascination with the beast or monster aspect of the human state of consciousness. I don't see this as evil, though. I think it is an attempt, however poorly scripted, at rebalancing. This occurs because we cannot uh, be balanced if the only life we have is in the light. We must also experience the dark. And uh, 
I think this is uh, highly likely. It is something that scoops up young, impressionable minds. Uh, usually, when I see anyone getting into magic, summoning, and esotericism, it comes from a sudden unraveling of uh, the family structure. In lieu of just uh, faith or Buddhism or Hinduism, now I realize a lot of Buddhism mimics some of the Gnostic ways of understanding the world. And they have a lot of uh, credibility to what they, well, what they're fronting. But I also think there are certain traps here along the way. Or Hinduism, uh, which, well, it does not invert the God, the word of God, um, of which you may come to believe. Uh, I also realize my faith may be incorrect. Perhaps the, ran the universe is just random and this life is all we have. I will never say that I know for sure, but my intuition I trust highly, however. The person replied back to me, uh, well, the sudden, my, my thesis that it often comes from the sudden unraveling of their family structure. And uh, he says, or she says, this is exactly the usual sort of trigger that impels people towards a seeking of the spirit and always has been. So we are living in an era where we are going back to the old paths to heaven while simultaneously striving to find new paths to the same destination. I think all of this is very interesting. My own view, well, uh, it falls uh, to a bigger extent into the Christian understanding of it on an archetypical level, but I value and I respect the <clears throat> scientific rationalist deduction of it. Whether uh, we should uh, call it a higher elevation of our consciousness or the fall. That is the question, I suppose. But does it really matter? Well, I think it does. I really do. But we're always searching and we're always hunting for more information, more knowledge and more insight. But no matter which of these theories have the most rational logic behind it, we uh, must live uh, in a spiritual way, I believe, in these times. I hope my talk concerning this today or tonight, depending on where you are, is uh, giving you some insight. At the end of my talk here, I will be reciting some of my own writings, and I'm not trying to uh, commercialize myself or be or do anything. 
in particular, I just feel like it fits very well with the theme of today. And I will quote Joseph Campbell before I Campbell before I start. The dark night of the soul comes just before revelation. When everything is lost and all seems darkness, then comes the new life and all that is needed. Everything that a tree will become originates from a tiny seed. Assuming that the scientists have sort of figured out the origin of the universe, another assumption follows. That everything we see, breathe and experience came from something like the billionth of the size of a tiny seed. There seems to be a constant natural order in all that exists. The patterns of plants, the apparent clockwork and rhythm of the seasons planets and wildlife i've come to see the world through the eyes of faith and is growing more steadfast by the day whether my choice in that matter is right or wrong seems increasingly irrelevant the mind is a garden too and uh, watering wild weeds will render thoughts first then actions uncontrollable i suppose it all boils down to personal preference I've been on crusade against religion myself at times, failing to realize that what evil humans do in the name of something does not befall the original idea. Rather, it paints the actions undertaken in the name of it in vile colors. Christianity started in opposition to tyranny. It rebranded archaic traditions in more modern terms. It is the very essence of the freedom that describes Western civilization. Yet the Roman Empire took it for itself, and for ages following the fall in Europe, some of its adherents created literal hell on earth. Following truths and myths from the Bible, this seems only natural, as Jesus was no follower of the priestly caste. In any case, I've tried the dry rationalism of scientific deduction with every phenomena ob observed, and it is so uninspiring. As emotional beings, I fail to see how we can gather information like robots and simply live on the virtue of numbers and probability. Add this to the fact that certain elements of quantum physics seems to simply not follow mathematical rules. I think we have only scratched the outer surface of whatever reality truly is. The universe seems to me increasingly like a living being and consciousness is how it interacts with itself. Whatever modern urban entertainment culture in reality is, it seems to worship almost nothing but material possession and the self, creating vast rates of depression and unkind behavior in the participants. The deeper we dive at universal truth, the more ab absurd are our findings. I imagine it was set in motion by that which is beyond sensibilities. When life loves random particles and all we breathe is held in place by unobservable forces. The teachings of faith are divine. Firm boundaries to tingle with. The trickster trails the path. Her gentle management of those left and find, found 
or just gentle management. Trying not to amass in any sense the misgiven value of guilt. I awoke from a long unpleasant dream inside a new world with new rules. The distance of future hills to climb that horizon shines bright. The vast uncharted territory of forgiveness where crushers and destroyers also lingers. Their untouched thoughts rampaging themselves. They tell me of thorns, they carry them in their pockets. I enact the thought patterns of a sun lounger. Money, finite. A thousand dark impulses eating in the presence of thousands starved, complete obsession. I find myself wandering back and forth between rambling thoughts and then at home I rest. What else but wondrous awe when we raise our spirits upwards where beauty seems to serve no purpose but to humble mortality, whole and void of limits. With that, I uh, wish you a good day or good evening depending on your circumstances. And uh, I hope you'll tune in to sat on Saturday when me and my friend Ed we will be discussing from hopefully a positive uh, perspective the notion of damnation and, well, salvation. Uh, what can we do to regain the spark? With that, I wish you a blessed day.